Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Chris Barnes from the Gidget Foundation. But first, Clara, how's your week been? Yeah, good. There's something on my mind though. So something that I think has been coming up quite a lot for our members lately and really is a big player in my life. So one of the things that keeps coming up is stress and how much stress is playing on my body. There was an article that I was reading all about secondhand stress and I thought that was a really interesting term. So a little bit of a teaser, guys, for the episode coming up. I We're talking to Chris from the Gidget Foundation, which is a, a tremendous episode. So I really hope you guys um, enjoy the episode. But I dive into the anxiety that I started to feel in my postnatal period. And I don't want to give too much away, but I talk a lot about anxiety, but I think I didn't really talk about the stress side of things. And I've been obviously delving into what's happening with stress and what's happening with my body. I was reading articles about secondhand stress and I thought this was just so interesting. So secondhand stress, have you heard of this, Grace? Yes. And I want to say I've definitely experienced it in the last month. So for our listeners, um, so my partner and I, we lived quite rural and we bought a house and we packed up our lives and we moved and my partner's Mm. anxiety hopefully he's okay I'm talking about this his anxiety is so heightened and he's so stressed with all the change and it's so unsettling for him and I feel because he's Mm. in that state I want to support him but at the same time being around him is making me stressed and I need to practice more mindfulness and meditation just so I can be present to mm. support him, which is really hard. So I definitely yeah, think second so, stress is a thing. And I think it's something that we always talk about in terms of stress. We always go, you know, how how am I stressed? So, you know, is it work that's impacting me? Is it, you know, as you said, a move is a huge thing. So is it a move? Um, is it buying a house? Is it you know, having a baby, whatever it is, all these big life things that can happen or even small things that just trigger you for some reason and it causes stress. But secondhand stress is a really interesting one. So exactly, I think in relationships and partnerships, that's the key example of what happens with secondhand stress. So it's when someone else is facing stress and it impacts you to the point that your body starts getting those stress responses. Um, And if you're in a partnership, it can be really unhealthy in a way because mm. if it's you and your partner and you're both starting to get stressed, that builds up. Again, it impacts probably what you your decisions. So A, we all know that you don't make clear decisions when you're stressed. B, stuff like food. So if you're looking at what you're eating during that period, how often do you think you went, oh, my God, like I just can't face it. Let's just have a pizza tonight or, you know, and and both of you are in the same thing. Yeah, so the first thing that you do is you turn to takeaway or you turn to – and if it's the two of you, then Mm -hmm. you're both creating those habits. You don't have someone to pull you away. 
And I also think it's something that's really important when it comes to work because Mm. I think I want to say this is something that I'm hopefully maybe I I don't know because you know it's one of those things I think only you Grace can answer really um, in terms of you're someone who works with me but when I'm stressed I really don't want that to filter throughout the company so Mm. I don't want to be someone who if I get stressed and I'm worried about something that then impacts people that work with me because Mm. I think that can be so detrimental in work life like I think if one person, and generally comes from management, but if one person is really stressed, that can just filter through the company and it can be toxic. It can. And I can assure you, I've never known if you're stressed. I've always thought you're cool as a cucumber. And because you're cool as a cucumber, if I have a stressful day, I'm like, I'm just going to lock that down and not tell anyone. <laughs> but I've never, I've never felt this stress or pressure or anything working with you because we are such a close-knit team and we are very get shit done Mm. this is how it is and then once the task is over we celebrate it which is very rare in a workplace not you don't celebrate your wins that much but I have worked for a company and maybe this is a perk from working at home as well is when you're in an office mm. and everyone's stressed and then the secondhand stress from someone dealing with their stressful situation, it changes the environment of the room. And this is why I it's believe like in my core. It's a black hole, isn't it? Everyone it knows is. what that feels like. It's a black hole. Yes. Yeah. So this is why I believe whether you're in an office, whether you're socialising, even with family, you need to, one, it is hard to be positive sometimes. It's hard to be mindful sometimes. And you mm. need to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with the right people. So even when you are stressed, mm. you have the right positive support. So because you're focusing on the black hole mm. of shit and there, you need people to try and mm. share what's going on in this picture, which I just realised I'm yeah. in a podcast, no one can see that. <laughs> but it's true. You have to be <laughs> mindful who you hang out with when it comes to secondhand stress. Well, I agree. I agree. And I also think you just need to be conscious of it sometimes. So take a step back and go, their stress is not my stress. So they're, what they're dealing with is something that they're going through. And there's got to be times where you're selfish. And I've talked about this a few times in the podcast, that selfish is not a bad word. No. Selfish is a time where you get to reclaim what you need back. So if it's a time where, as you said, you know, your partners, sometimes it's a harder in a relationship, very difficult in a relationship to do this because really that's that's your person, right? So if they're having a high, you have a high. If they're having a low, you're having a low. But there are some times that you've got to go, okay, is this something I can control for them? Mm. is this something that I can affect if it's not maybe it's time to just take a step back and be positive and just go okay I need to be positive and it is that mindfulness right so we were talking about this a lot to do with our program members and mindfulness so Mm -hmm. how you come at a situation mindfulness and I think there is situations where you are able to control what your internal dialogue is so you're not able to control what's going on maybe around you but you are able to control your internal dialogue yeah actually this takes me back to a book I read at the beginning of the year by Jay Shetterjee and it's called Think Like a Monk and one Mm. of the chapters in this book was 
you're dealing with a negative situation, dig deep and find three positives within that negative. And I have been using that practice ever since I read that book. And it changes your mindset. It's Mm. such a simple activity. It's like, oh, you stepped in dog shit. Well, you're outside Mm. in nature. You're walking your dog and you're taking a moment to exercise and get your body moving. Like it's so easy for Mm. people to be negative, but that practice over time being mindful and positive will eventually change your perspective on life and in stressful situations. And you will find you won't absorb the secondhand stress as much doing these daily practices. Yeah. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. Hey guys, just a quick trigger warning. This conversation touches on topics of suicide and mental health. If these topics are triggering for you, please reach out to Beyond Blue on 13002-4636 or Lifeline on 13114. We'll put links to these organisations in the show notes below. Remember, help is always available. As I said, this is an episode quite close to my heart, I think, because I've got um, a 10-month-old, so I've well, an 11-month-old now. She's just um, oh, she's growing she's up. She's just had her 11-month birthday. She is growing up. She's so growing up. She's got two two front teeth coming in at the top, and then her two bottom teeth are just starting to show through too. So she was a toothless wow. teddy bear for a while. But this is really close to my heart because this is an episode that, as I said, it's something I've just gone through. So I've just gone through that postnatal period, and it's probably something I didn't really admit to a lot of people but I I did struggle and I struggled for quite a few reasons um I think really honestly the change for anyone um of you know of going through you know a you're always at work and then all of a sudden you're not at work and you're that's a new reality for you so there's a there's a big life change there and then there's the change of obviously having a baby that you have no idea what to do with um, or how to, you know, what that child needs and how you react to that. But it's the hormonal. So my big thing was the hormonal changes and what I went through. So Chris is from the Gidget Foundation, um, which is a fantastic foundation that does a lot around postnatal depression for both the mother and the father, which I think is all mm-hmm. parents, sorry, I should say partners. So it can just be, you know, it can be on the mother's side, but it also can be a partner as well supporting. And she really talks us through what that looks like. So, you know, stress, anxiety, um, you know, the connection to child, but anger, all these things that I didn't actually realise it could present as. So I certainly didn't know that you could get really angry, which is something I faced um, and I go into more in the episode. So I think this is an episode that everyone should listen to because it really, A, the more that we talk about it, always we talk about this knowledge is power, but it is something mm-hmm. that could affect anyone that you know, and you've got to know what the warning signs are and that you've got to know how to help and how to support. And so I think it's really, really key. And for women who haven't gone through um, 
this period already, it might be a nice time to be able to reflect back on what that was like for them and sort of understand more about what was going on during that period. Absolutely. And also from my perspective of not having a child yet and having Mm. these expectations of what um, pregnancy and birth and being a mother will be like, this kind of removes that and also removes the stigma of mental health around postnatal experiences. So I'm really excited Mm. to jump into this chat with Chris. So thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Uh, Our first question really is, what is Gidget Foundation and how did it come about? Well, it's got a very sort of interesting but sad story. It came about 22 years ago because a woman called Gidget, and that was her nickname, her her Mm. name was really Louise, and she was from Northern Beaches in Sydney, and she took her own life for suffering from perinatal depression and anxiety or what was known as postnatal depression all Mm. those years ago, and and Uh her little girl was about nine months old. So all her family and friends who just adored her got together and created this not-for-profit foundation and raised money for many years. And then nine years ago or so, um, we opened up our first free counselling service for new and expectant parents to get some support for any sort of mental health um, related condition that they would get during that perinatal period. And then here we are, (laughs) 24 offices later in Australia wide and, and still providing specialist care. So it really is wonderful. And what is your role in Gidget Foundation? Well, my role now is senior clinical consultant. So I mm. do lots of um, consulting around anything to do with the clinical work. So we write fact sheets or we um, do panel presentations. We raise awareness mm. to organisations. We do podcasts, for instance. <laughs> um, we um, do a lot of professional development for our clinicians. We have about 140 now. So mm. it's up to us to really make sure that we deliver the best, most up-to-date mm. development for them so they are also delivering the best care for our clients. And I also do um, a fair amount of supervision and run various supervision programs as well. So could you give our listeners an overview of what prenatal depression and anxiety is and how it differs from other forms of depression and anxiety? Well, we use this term perinatal depression anxiety because often the two sort of symptoms happen together. There's usually some depression and anxiety and one can be stronger than the other, but usually they they happen together. And I think those terms have been put together because of over the years and research and observations, they can see that, that people usually have bits of both. So there are symptoms of depression and symptoms of anxiety. And that is the case for any sort of depression, anxiety. But there are some differences, which I'll go through. But just to go through some more general sort of symptoms of depression, there's mood changes. So you can get really teary and feel very flat, you know, be very low in your mood. And and it doesn't really shift, even though you might be able to do a few things that would normally make you feel good. You know, it just doesn't move. So you can feel quite sort of overwhelmed and and hopeless as well. And then there are thoughts and beliefs that sort of get changed. You know, you have quite negative thoughts like this this life is not worth going on anymore and and I'm a hopeless parent, that sort of thing, and real inadequacy and and a Mm. sense of guilt, shame and failure. It's sort of feeling like this when it's meant to be one of the most happiest times, you know, in someone's life. 
So you've got mood, thoughts and beliefs, and then you have behavioral changes. So people might move more slowly, you know, they might lose their appetite, poor sleep. And that's really hard because as a new parent, we know that Mm. sleep gets disrupted big time, but it's sort of, it's even when the baby's sleeping, people can't rest or sleep. They might be quite agitated Um, and you can get quite irritable, really lots of anger often as well. Um, And lack of attachment to the baby. I think that these sort of conditions can affect how people feel about being a parent and then how they might interact with a baby. So that's sort of the depressive side. And then with anxiety, there can be physical symptoms and often uh, men in particular might feel more of this and notice that more. So they might get panic attacks or their heart rate might increase, sweaty palms, you know, upset tummies, that sort of thing. And they might get fears, like they've got to check on the baby constantly because it may not be they're worried it might not be breathing or sleeping well or a lot of intrusive thoughts as well. And these are sort of scary thoughts like um, you might crash your car in the in the harbour tunnel or you might drop your baby. Mm. And more than 80% of new and expectant parents get these thoughts, but they don't realise that they're probably and most often just a sign of really a lot of overwhelm and anxiety. Mm. They get quite frightened by those. So you can see that the depressive and anxious symptoms are sort of similar across the board for everyone, but the concerns or fears or things might just focus on the baby more or being a parent. So that's sort of how it differs, I think. It's I always hear when my friends have babies that they're scared of going on a plane afterwards. That seems like a very common thing or they have this fear of driving all of a sudden. Clara, I don't know yeah. if you've experienced yeah. that at all after your baby. Yeah, I... So a lot of this ring true, this conversation, and I know, yeah. um, Chris, I kind of shared a little bit, but I haven't shared it obviously with the podcast too much. Um, but I I started experiencing extreme anxiety. So something that, and when I say extreme anxiety, I'm talking about something that I think was far above my baseline of just normal anxious. And I think people have anxiety in their life anyway, a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but I was starting to um experience quite severe anxiety and I think the anger the anger thing was something that you just spoke about then and I think that was something that I just didn't expect and I was very lucky that I had two girlfriends that (laughs) um flagged with me that there might be times that I tell my husband I want to walk out (laughs) and I want to you know um and that there's anxiety and I started and there's anger and I started reading about that I think um I expected postnatal anxiety or perinatal anxiety and perinatal depression to be all around the child so exactly what you spoke about Chris Mm. I expected it very much to be around not bonding with the child and that's how it would present and so I think I probably did go through some of it but um, it wasn't presenting towards the child it was very much presenting in different ways and that was stuff that I was totally unaware of so in terms of Uh, you know, and the other side of it is as well is I thought that um, I guess it happened quite quickly as well. And so for me, it was really around month, probably four or five, that this really kicked in. So when do people start experiencing it? And 
how do they start seeing the warning signs and the warning symptoms um, of what's coming on? And how do your partners start? You know, you mentioned men then as well. So how do you see it in each other? So how do you start flagging mm. in each other if something is wrong? They're great questions, Clara. I'm just thinking to how, you know, reflecting on your own experience mm. as well and how you felt the anger. And I think everyone is different, you know, in some mm. things it'll be stronger than the other. And it's really hard to pick up in yourself sometimes, isn't it? Because yeah. you don't know what's normal after being a parent. You expect to be sleep deprived. You know, mm. you expect to be a bit possibly irritable. You you have all these ideas about how it might be and you don't really know. So when mm. you're going through it, sometimes I think it's really hard to pick, okay, this is not okay. I'm actually mm. not feeling good and it's worrying me a bit. Um, a lot of people just push on, you know, like you yeah. maybe did and months and months later. Mm. And I think most of the time we do see people at Gidget in that scenario where they might give themselves a few months mm. and then they realise that it's not feeling better and, in fact, they're feeling worse. So I think it's really working out if you are not feeling comfortable if it's really upsetting you how you're feeling, whatever that is, and that'll be different for everyone. Everyone has a different, what you said, baseline before, mm-hmm. but they'll also be able to pick up things that they're not as comfortable with. And if you're feeling like a big combination of all of that stuff that we talked about before for two weeks mm-hmm. and it is not shifting and, in fact, it's getting worse and nothing you do is making you feel better, that mm. is the time to seek support. Let it go beyond two weeks and I think I should have yeah. <clears throat> probably reached out sooner. Well, there are lots of reasons, you know, why, mm. why people don't. Do you know what it was for you that sort of you went? Um, I think I just assumed it was hormones. So for me it was, you know, and I, I and probably was, um, mm. you know, there's a large mm. percentage of it just being those shifting, like so much stuff goes on in your body. Mm. Um, not only is it the hormones from post-pregnancy, so, you know, after you've given birth, all those hormones being released, but also then getting your period again um, and those hormones kicking in. And what I was starting to notice is it was starting to happen really close to when I was getting my new period. And I was told by a doctor that that just might be my period, my new normal for my period. Mm. And it was something that was just not normal and it was quite extreme. And so I kind of was waiting for those hormone shifts to leave my body and to see if I was normal again. But mm. I don't know if that was mm. the best way to deal with it. Oh, well, you can't judge it, right? Because <laughs> you do what you can and you're trying to get your head around having a baby and all of mm. those shifts, you know, not just hormonal. And some women, you know, are really um, more susceptible to feeling yeah. those changes. Um, but, you know, you've got a whole massive change. We call it matrescence and it's the journey Mm. to being a mum and you've got body changes, mind changes, often spiritual stuff, like everything around you is changing. And I think that we just cannot judge anyone, you know, whether you Mm. seek help when you're pregnant, if you're worried and maybe you've got a mental health history, which might make you seek out support before, like a preventative sort of thing or whether you're just in it and you're just surviving and getting through Mm. um, often you just don't know and you asked me too about partners they might notice something more than you but they also may not know what the signs are you know Mm. or or the symptoms are to look out for and they are probably putting their head down and maybe you're not working and they are and they're trying to focus on work maybe support you and 
partners are more involved historically than they have ever been before. Mm. So they're juggling family and work often in that initial stage. We usually see um, partners around the six-month mark. You know, it's Mm. when the ball for them starts to drop a bit and they might notice they can't concentrate as much, they're not feeling good, it sort of catches up with them. So it happens to men and women and all, um, you know, all all different groups of people and and minorities as well, PNDA, as we call it, does not Mm -hmm. discriminate, you know, but it's really important to remember that it's really treatable and it is temporary and there's really good specialist care out there to support people. Can I also ask a question? Um, Did you find that there was an increase during COVID? Yeah, we did. I mean, our service and demand doubled, if not more, in those Mm. couple of years of COVID. And when I went into this, the team leader role, which was the role before this Mm. consultant role, so just at the beginning of COVID, we had 27 clinicians. And then in two and a bit years, well, three years later now, we have 140. So that gives you an indication of our expansion and obviously funding helped as well, but we had to develop all of these programs to Mm. increase the workforce to meet the demand. Mm. Our wait lists were through the roof, as were, you know, everybody, not just in the perinatal period, but a lot of therapists, their wait lists increased massively. Mm. And so are you finding that it hasn't come back down? And the reason why I'm asking this is because I only gave birth uh, 10 months ago, almost 11 months ago now, and I was out of that COVID period. I was, there was definitely some lingering parts of COVID during my pregnancy, but, you know, it, my partner was allowed to be at the hospital. The hospitals were back open. I could have visitors. All, so that stuff was starting to change. But what I found didn't change was the support services afterwards. So, and when I'm talking support services, I'm not talking, you know, Gidget Foundation. I'm talking uh, the community nursing that you go and mm. see when you um, and you have appointments with. I'm talking the mothers groups. So my mothers group was all um, via a Skype link for the first. Or you only have three sessions anyway, but all sessions were via a Skype link. So we were instantly distanced anyway as a group because we hadn't ever met in person. We didn't have that mm. kind of bonding. Um, and then the actual community centre, I only saw them three times. And I think the first the first time I was, I, I was totally out of it. I had no idea what I was saying to them. Like it was so quick after the birth. I think it's like the next week or something or the week after and I was in a whole different planet. So I really would have had no idea. I had no idea when the next meeting was or anything. My partner luckily had taken all of that down. Mm. Um, and so I found, you know, only 11 months ago that I was still quite isolated from, you know, a, from that community, I guess, that you start to build when you first have a baby. Has that changed, do you find, or is it still... Is there still a knock-on effect now? Yeah, I think so. I think we're calling it a bit of a lag effect. Yeah. So we still have wait lists, although they have shortened. Mm. Um, I think that part of the reason is that because we only have 10 Medicare subsidised sessions now, not 20 as we had during COVID. So we, yeah, so 
we are not happy about that. We would like more because we, mm. sometimes we need more for more complex um, presentations as so well. So people and are stopping coming because they no longer are subsidised and they can't afford to do the private. Yeah, I mean, the whole yeah. model of Gidget is to bulk bill. So all our clinicians yeah. bulk bill. I mean, they also often work in private practice to sort of balance it out, mm. but they they work for us. They bulk bill all their clients, which is amazing. and they get up to 10 now like we do have mm. a bit of compassionate funding we can extend it a bit if we if you know if need be and they can still pay if they want to come and continue to see our people but it's a private rate so yeah. we've noticed a big difference obviously that has an impact on our wait list as mm. well um, where we could potentially go much longer during COVID you know up to 20 sessions which was great to have that flexibility and really be able to to do really the best work that we can with everyone. Access to services, which is what you're talking about, Clara, I think that mm. it's just taking a while to get back to that face-to-face -face stuff. But that isolation was huge, wasn't it, during it, COVID? It and I think yeah. people are still mm. feeling that. Mm. Like people are going home from hospital yeah. the day after birth now. Mm. You said you only had three sessions. Like I remember back in my day like 28, 25 years ago, we mm. had at least six, I remember, yeah. or even more. So I think the demands are maybe more. Maybe the funding has been altered. I'm not quite sure. But people are going home earlier and there's mm. a lot more isolation. People don't have families maybe in the next suburb like they used to. Um, there's a lot of extra stresses, I think, on young parents now more than ever before. I mean, in other cultures, you know, you have 40 days plus to be at home mm. and rest and people bring you food and you don't leave the house. We're sort of expected in in, this, in in Australia anyway, I think, to sort of get going and you're conscious of your, you know, your leave from work and um, mm -hmm. you're expected to get going and get up and going rather than resting mm -hmm. and recuperating after the birth. Before you were talking about early detection, and I was wondering, um, could you yes. discuss with our listeners the importance of early detection and intervention in addressing mm. peri mm. perinatal depression and anxiety? And what are effective treatments that you offer at Gidget? We have to remember that it is treatable and temporary. So it is really important to get in as early as you can. And when you or your partner start to notice that you're not feeling well, don't wait for it to get to the mm. point where it really is serious. And obviously, you know, as with Gidget, she took her own life. So we don't, the whole idea of Gidget is to make sure that doesn't happen to any other new or expectant parent. So obviously, if you leave it untreated, it will go longer and you'll feel worse for longer and you won't be able to engage with parenting maybe as you really hoped you would be able to. You know, obviously, it does have more impact on possibly the relationship with your baby um, with your partner, with your work even, and getting back to work mm. and just your level of being able to function in the world, let alone that enjoyment or thriving aspect, but even just that. So there, there's lots of research about the sort of risks of leaving it untreated for many years. And then if that happens, and that has happened in the past and even sometimes now, that there are, you know, Children can, in their preschool years or even primary years, mm. have deficits cognitively and socially and that sort of thing, So, and physically. So there are more serious sort of impacts of letting mm. it go untreated for a very long time, and if it is very serious. 
But I think most of the time we don't see that. Most of the time we see people who it's mild to moderate, although I think over the last couple of years it's definitely getting a little bit more serious in terms of the symptoms and I think that Mm. is just because of the expectations that the um, sort of weight of parenting and the way that we do things probably as well, culturally as well. And then there's this, there's always been a stigma around mental health as well in our community. And mm-hmm. as much as we're discussing it and there's more awareness around this in social media and uh, mainstream media, do you think that's holding individuals back and making them hesitant to reach out during this phase? Stigma's a big one, isn't it? And I think the more we talk about it, like you guys doing this podcast, which mm. is so wonderful, like the more we talk about it, the more we lessen the stigma around talking about mental health at this time. Like I was saying initially, it, people think it's going to be the most amazing, happy time, and mm. often it's not. So there are barriers and there, there they are things that stop people from reaching out. Partly it is the stigma and feeling like they're a failure as a parent if they're not enjoying this. Um, there's isolation as well, or there's access to services. Like there's lots of reasons why people don't reach out, not just stigma. Stigma is one of them. I think stigma is lessening because I think more and more people and celebrities and you've got social media and Instagram and, and some helpful sites on those social media um, platforms that help lessen the stigma as well. But um there are lots of reasons why people don't reach out and, and I think stigma is is one of them. And for those people that are reluctant to reach out, what would your advice be to them? I think don't be frightened about reaching out. Like there are many organisations, not just Gidget, there are many organisations who understand that this can happen and it's one in five women and one in ten men or partners in Australia. You know, that's a, more than 100,000 people a year, probably more now. So it's a lot of people that it that it impacts and listen to other people's stories. You can even go on our Gidget Foundation website and, and if you're not sure what to do, you can read on there what happens at your first counselling appointment, what it's like, what are the symptoms of PNDA. So educate yourself in mm. any way that you can. Reach out for support from someone. Start with someone you trust. If you don't want to ring an organisation, you can maybe ask your partner or best friend or someone at work maybe who you can trust. And maybe if you can't reach out, get them to do it with you and try and get your family to help you as much as you can and ask for help because it really is a sign of strength and not weakness. That's how we see it is that you're realising that, okay, I'm not I'm not travelling so well here. So I think I want to, I want to feel better and I can so let's maybe do some things or get someone to help me do it so I can possibly enjoy this time. And your GP, you could go to your GP, your midwife, any of those specialists as well, and they will know what to do to get the right support. So is there anything going into childbirth or when you are pregnant that can help mitigate, I guess, the risk further down the track? Yeah, I think educating yourself about mental health stuff that can happen Mm. in that time and keeping a listen out for it, telling maybe your partner or a friend, if you don't have a partner, um, what to look out for and say, Mm. look, if you see any of this stuff, please talk to me because, you know, things can happen and I may not know that this is going on. And I think being realistic 
having realistic expectations of yourself and possibly your baby as well in terms of what, you know, sleep and and feeding and, and all of that and really looking at it to make sure that that they are realistic, that you don't think your baby will sleep for, you know, how many hours a day and that they will feed every four hours, that every baby is different. I think also taking the pressure off to have to love your baby straight away mm-hmm. and have this great relationship because like any person that you meet, it takes time to develop that bond, that trust, to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And it's a two-way street. Like they have to get to know you too. And it's a big change for them to come out of this sort of warm, cosy environment to have to manage so mm-hmm. much, especially in the first few months as well. So educate yourself. Be realistic. Yeah. I think go gently, you know, really go gently and trust your instincts mm. and try not to be influenced too much by possibly unhelpful advice people out there. I think one help. of the things that I was told at my baby shower was lower your expectations. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was one, yeah. of the, one of the things that um, a good friend put in a card for me. And I think it's true. Like, it's it's one of those things where you really you've got to just take it day by day and it's and as honestly I mean Grace hasn't gone through it yet and it's one of those things that until you go through it you just don't you just will never know like it's a, it's an impossible thing to understand and as much as people who want a child and have been around children and other children and you know, they, I think they're, you know, they're really psyched for it and they think that they know what it is. It's just, it's a totally different world. Um, And I think there is, for me, there was so many, you know, I always look at it and go, I don't know why I went to childbirth classes, like the, you know, the <laughs> childbirth classes, because that was totally not, what happened to me was totally not my plan. Um, or wouldn't have been anyone's mm. plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used none of that advice because it just wasn't even relevant. But for me, it's stuff like that. It's so, everything is just so different um, and will be, you have to be so flexible with what happens. And it, it's just, it's so difficult to prepare for. And it's so you know, it's so different to what you think that really, honestly, I think lowering expectations and just learning to go <laughs> with it. And that's really difficult yes. for a lot of people. Like I'm, yeah, I'm it is. organized to a fault. Mm-hmm. And so I really afraid, struggle yeah. with that. Yeah. yeah. No, people who have personalities a little bit like that and very detail oriented and like yeah. everything structured can possibly have a harder time. You know, you talked about flexibility, mm. Clara, and I love that because We try and get people to be more flexible or more open. But it's so Mm. hard. Like when you're pregnant, like what are you going to take in? I mean, here I am saying educate yourself and I think that's important. But the ideas about being flexible and being open, what are you really going to hear when you're pregnant, you know, versus Mm. what you actually are going to go through afterwards when the reality is hitting. You know, I think that's Mm. it can be quite a different thing, can't it? Yeah, I think that's the funny thing that um, we've all spoken about, which is amongst my friends, which is when you prepare in the nine months that you've got to prepare to have a baby, and sometimes it's longer because you've been thinking about it longer, 
what do you actually prepare for? You buy a bassinet, you buy a car seat, you buy clothes, you buy all these things, but you don't actually prepare for what's going to happen. Like it's it's actually a totally different thing to having you know, all the all the gear, no idea. That's what I kept on saying. It's all the gear, no idea. And actually <laughs> that. getting that. That's so true, it, isn't it? Yeah. It is. It's so true. And actually getting that next mm. little bit of information where, as you said, I had no idea. The anger thing, I just didn't know it was a thing. I just really, I, mm. I had no idea. And I think the more girlfriends speak about it or, you know, you get mm. women to speak about it. And I say girlfriends because they tend to be the one that you can kind of really hone in on. You, like mm. I speak to my mum, but mm. my mum's like, I don't really remember. It was quite a long time ago for her. So, you know, speaking to girlfriends that have gone through it, but actually asking those Mm. questions because a lot of what we put out is what's on Instagram. You know, it's that perfect baby. It's that perfect scenario. Mm -hmm. And actually hearing some of the stuff like, you know, my friend saying, I I was so angry. And she goes, but it will stop. And that was what I was clinging to because she kept on saying, I went through this period of extreme anger towards her partner but it will stop so I was like okay I, I know that's good that to know yeah I knew it's like a stage exactly. it will get better mm-hmm. you need that hope I think yeah. when you're right amongst it as well to sort of accept that however you feeling is just how you're feeling right and yeah. all these things can happen there's such a multitude of emotions and we do prepare ourselves I love that you know no idea all the gear no idea because we prepare with practical stuff but not mm-hmm. for the emotional impact about yeah what it's going to be like and the mental health impact Mm. and that postpartum rage as we call it which Mm. I don't really like that term because it it does imply an awful lot but it is a bit like that it's quite explosive it comes from nowhere often I mean often it's a build-up but it feels like it comes from no nowhere and you've probably not experienced anything like that before in your life and it's so powerful and I think as women Anger is not an emotion that we are sort of socialised to manage or allowed, yeah. Like mm. with men, a little bit more acceptable, but mm. not as women. We are people pleasers and we look after people. And um, so I think that also makes it even harder for new mums mm. to have that level of anger because we're just yeah. not comfortable with it. Usually it's a signal that something's not right. And I think if mm. we see it like that, it's a good thing. You know, we said that yeah. something's not right. What was it that triggered me? Why am I feeling so upset? Like, am I just so overwhelmed? I'm not getting a break. Mm. I'm exhausted. What do I need to do? Because this is this is not okay. Like yelling at your baby, throwing things. Mm. You know, when it gets to that point, sometimes um, need to really step back and see what do I need to do to just settle myself and, mm. and and see it as a sign for help. Really, you know, when you get to that point. Yeah, definitely, and I think. As you said, it's talking about all the different symptoms and all the different ranges because I was very much under the impression that it was all around not bonding with your child or um, or it being child-focused. So, you know, that just having that disconnect and just not having that that connection that you expect to have and, as you said, you know, that can take time. Like people, this expectation mm. of instantly falling in love. Did you instantly fall in love with your partner? A lot of people would probably say no. Took a time. <laughs> <laughs> Took a beat. Um, 
But, you know, it is that kind of that expectation. But I think it's also that range and understanding that there is a range in there because Mm. I remember having the conversations with my GP because, you know, you get there's a check sheet and you get taken through the check sheet and they basically triage you on the check sheet and you you do it at all the mid um, midwife appointments, the community midwife appointments. You do it at your GP and I did it in my obstetrician. Cause That's I the, is that the EPDS, the Edinburgh scale that they use? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Now, they obviously ask on that day how you're feeling, but realistically, you know, I mean, everybody goes through ups and downs and anxiety. Like if if I filled that exact spreadsheet out, you know, at points in my career, I would definitely have gotten higher, um, higher anxiety and depression measures than mm. probably what was I was actually facing at the time. So, you know, it's very kind of, it's not really the questions I think that need to be asked. And it's very much, they go through it and it's very much like check a box and rah-rah. Yeah, and right. They don't really deep de- dig down and ask what that What would next be helpful, question. do you think, Clara? You know, I think asking that next question, going, okay, mm. so, you know, how often do you feel like, like just actually talking to you about it, you know, what scenario was that mm. in? How are you feeling? Like, What's the background story? Is this more than your baseline? Is this something that you've never felt before? You know, mm. but I didn't feel like that conversation. It was always at the end of an appointment. Yeah, right. And that conversation. Oh, wow. and the conversation Isn't that interesting? Just, so rather than being at the beginning where they've got yeah. time to go through it or delve a little bit more into what you're saying, all those questions, such helpful questions that would have been, yeah. to have, you know, to be asked. Um, and that's the thing, like that those that screening tool is the most widely used one to measure yeah. depression and anxiety. It is very mm. reliable and there's a cutoff score mm. that indicates that people probably should go and see someone and talk more. But it's the way that it's done. Like you have mm. to allow time to explore a little bit more rather than just a checklist sort of thing, you know, because yeah. then it and doesn't it feel felt. useful like for the- you. Yeah. The best person mm. was my obstetrician. He was amazing and he he did suggest I go and see someone. Mm. So he was he was really good. Oh, that's um, good. And that was yeah. on a yeah. I don't even think that was that was on an appointment about something totally different as well. It was actually right. not to do. I just happened to be a follow up appointment. Because again, I yeah. think when I started to feel it. I was beyond all of those appointments, those normal appointment yes. times. Yeah, the six-week check and all of those. That's the yeah. thing. Often they're, they're focused on the baby. How's the baby going, putting on weight, all of that stuff, and they're not yeah. often not asking the questions about how that new mum is going. Mm. Yeah, mm. exactly right. And to your point as well, but how, asking questions about how the father's going, mm. I mm. felt through my entire pregnant period, like, everything to do with um first trying to conceive all the way through my partner could have almost been a sperm donor like he was totally left out of the picture and I do think Mm. that you know they're not asked any of those questions on um no they need to as well there's a big push to screen for um you know birthing partners partners as well at the moment and I think that's you know well I said one in ten Basically, that's the statistics. So it is mm. really important. And we know that even with women 
who have depression, anxiety or, or a trauma-related condition in this period of time, that if their partner is on board and doing well, they will recover better. Mm. And we know that it has an impact on them. So we know mm. that stuff's probably happening for them as well. You know, they probably do need some support. So mm. we can see them together. We can see them separately. At Gidget, we also see the partners as well and, and offer mm. counselling is not just for the, the new mums. So, and doesn't matter if you're a same-sex couple as well, the same thing applies, that the partner yeah. who is giving the support will be the one who, you know, it'll have an impact on them for sure. So we want mm. them to be in a better state to support that mum as well. How has it changed? So have you seen a shift in people's thinking around um, this topic and how, and is that shifting in a positive way? So as you said, you're starting to now look into how men are more supported through this period um, and, you know, and getting them screening earlier rather than when they're obviously reaching out and putting their hands up. Mm -hmm. So has the conversation started to shift and, you know, what else can we do to help shift that conversation? I think the conversation is shifting. I think that the stigma is lessening, although we Mm. still need to work really hard at raising awareness of mental health conditions and trauma-related conditions in this perinatal period any way we can. Social media, going to organisations, doing talks, you know, going on TV, Mm. interviews on radio, like the more that we can get information out there, the better it will be. It is shifting. I think this younger generation of parents also might educate themselves more. They've got more Mm. access to things. So we've got to make sure the correct and helpful information is out there for them to absorb. And I think we know that not just the woman giving birth, but also her partner needs support in every possible Mm. way. And then even maybe that baby, if it is left untreated and it goes on for a while, then, you know, we need to support them. We need to support the whole family going forward in this period to make sure that, you know, at the end of it, that they've actually come together in a in a way that is conducive to to being a healthy, functioning family and enjoying mm. being with each other and helping them through that really vulnerable time of early years. Chris, thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast today. This has been such a lovely chat. And for all our listeners out there who want to learn a little bit more about the Gidget Foundation and all the services and programs they provide, we'll put links in our show notes below. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.